One Week Season. Welcome to the OWS Assessing Your Process podcast. I'm your host, Beefritz12, and I'm excited to jump into what was a really interesting week. It's kind of been an interesting season, but this week was one of those weeks where news and the value that was already there and then continued to open up with news was really, really important to be able to digest and figure out how you were going to change your your process, your your approach, your strategy to that. So with that today, normally I talk about my single entry lineup and I kind of run through my document that I have hosted here in the OWS FAM shared drive. Uh, I have a a reflection document that I take kind of uh, question by question of things that I've posed to myself to help me understand what I did well and not so well this week. But rather than do that, I wanted to I'll talk a little bit about lineups, but I wanted to talk a little bit bigger picture this week about what this slate offered and the unique uh, setup we had. We had kind of an interesting spot where even to begin the week, there were games that were clear blowouts. There were spots that very easily, you know, we just we just saw we had the the Colts, who were set up to smash, uh, we had Tom Brady and the Bucks, who had just you know kind of an open door versus a Atlanta Falcons defense who has been leaky. We just had these spots that were just seemed very clear in terms of like points are going to be scored. This team is going to struggle. This team is going to do very well. And then we had a handful of spots that were really just not as interesting. So. From a macro level, the slate already started from a pretty interesting place. We had certain things like Debo Samuel being out and what that did for a condensed, you know, kind of an already condensed offense. And I'll get to some more specifics on on that and how the field handled that and how we could have handled that. Uh, But there was just a lot that was kind of universally seen across the board and kind of understood. But the main decision points on this slate were trying to figure out what you were going to do as a player to respond to the value that was opened up and kind of the the, the clear chalk because of that, trying to figure out if it was good chalk or bad chalk, uh, restrictive or expansive, as Hilo talks about in his article. And just be able to discern for yourself what what's going to be a plus EV play, you know, over time, what are the, the plays that are going to be, you know, intelligent to to pull the trigger on or what are good bets over time and what aren't. So. With that, we had, you know, we had these pieces who were very, very cheap. Uh, And so we get into the situation where the we can start overthinking it to an extent. Um, the, The pricing psychology immediately comes into play. You know, JM has talked about this at length. You know, one when a player is priced. Below what they're you know, should be valued at, that starts to have a psychological effect in terms of, oh, maybe this player isn't actually worth that much. Oh, maybe I'm going to be a fish for playing him. Maybe he doesn't have that ceiling. And so we had multiple of those spots this week. So 
the the main ones being with the Eagles situation. You know, Jalen Hurts was already in a good spot this week. If he was going to play against this just awful Jets defense. And then we had the news of Gardner Minshew being the starter. And, you know, Miles Sanders, we didn't quite know what kind of workload he was going to get. Uh, then there was the situation with no Debo. Debo. Uh, so we had, you know, we have like Elijah Mitchell and Brendan Ayuk, who, you know, both were potentially underpriced for at least what their role was going to be in that offense. Then we had Sony Michelle come in at the last minute. So again, how we handle those things kind of determined what the slate ended up looking like for you. So to kind of take this, uh, to kind of categorize this, to, to bucket this, I want to start with looking at or uh, so I'll, I'll preface it with this. So we've got kind of a, a linear thinking bucket. Uh, we have an overvaluing of a 25 plus point ceiling. And then we have the the construction aspect and then just the approach that you could or should be taking based on the field size or the type of contest that you're in. So let's start with linear thinking. This is really just going to kind of be a continuation, a post outcome <laughs> discussion of what JM was talking about last week, which was this linear thought process that the field has, which is X guy is out, therefore Y guy is a good play or Y guy is going to pick up all the volume. So in this case, we're talking about Debo Samuel. And so immediately everybody thinks that Ayuk is kind of the guy that's going to pick that up. Yes, you know, people know that he's not the same player. Nobody, I don't think, really expected him to step into a full Debo role. And we talked about, at, you know, here at OWS, how that has happened in the past where Ayuk has seen a, a Debo-like role, at least. He's not the same, you know, special player that Debo is, but they have shown a propensity to use him in that way. However, just because those things are true doesn't necessarily mean that it's plug and play. It's not a guaranteed thing. And so JM had talked about Kittle last week and how Kittle could potentially have one of his blow up weeks. And the field wouldn't necessarily be on that because he doesn't really have weeks like this often. You know, he's kind of inconsistent. He either hits or he doesn't. And the field was just, you know, not likely to go there because it just seemed far more uncertain. There just wasn't the track record. Uh, there was no way to know that. And as we've been talking about both me on this podcast, we talked about Taylor blowing up for these, you know, four tutty games uh, when the data is pointing to the passing game or different guys on that at offense to another player in a game environment or on a team that is going to put up a lot of points is a very <laughs> uh, valid and even further than that, you know, plus EV strategy. And so this was really kind of the perfect example of this. And so we've had a few weeks now where we've had the field honing in on one guy. I don't actually know what the ownership was on D, uh, excuse me, on Ayuk. But in general, we have the field going to one guy and kind of disregarding the other guy. And so the ownership numbers would show that X guy, Ayuk, is a far better play than Y guy, Kittle, in this situation when simply that's it's just not true. So this is a very easy way to gain leverage on the field is to simply go where the field is not when there is a high ceiling because we just don't know. <laughs> there, I mean, there's general variance, but we also never know how a team is going to approach something. So 
linear thinking, thinking that you can just plug and play guy Y because guy X is out. Thinking more critically than our opponents, taking a moment to step back. For me, that's the biggest lesson here and kind of like what I took from this is the field reacts very quickly. Uh, it's kind of a knee-jerk reaction of, okay, no Debo? Okay, line up Ayuk. Whereas if we can slow that reaction time and have a more intentional response, think about it critically, step back and see it from a higher level, we can come to a conclusion where, you know, Kittle might not be that much worse of a play. And in fact, all things considered, ownership and things like that, he is probably a better, more plus EV play over time. So that's bucket number one, linear thinking. Bucket number two is overvaluing a 25 plus point ceiling. This is something that I actually got asked about, I believe it was last week on the pod or two weeks ago. I Time is hard. Uh, I played Ty Johnson and... I was asked, did you expect him to hit a 20 point, 20 plus point ceiling or were you simply playing him for what he was going to open up? And I love this question. And this was essentially what we had to face with Sony Michelle this week, except that he was in a far better spot on a far better team than Ty Johnson. Uh, But the. The the. The fact of it remains the same, which is, you know, my response to that was I played Ty Johnson because of what he offered me in the context of the slate, in the context of how I wanted to build, which was jamming in two high price wide receivers to separate and differentiate me from the field and and still have, you know, a block of those guys or a, a roster that still has a 200 plus point ceiling. Because 15 points is well within the range of Ty Johnson at 4,300 because he is a pass catching back. Should he have to work against a bad run defense? All those things. So this week was kind of similar with Sony Michelle, except for what I said, like he was in an even better spot on a better team. And. The the reason that I really wanted to focus on this is because I even saw conversations about this in the in the the OWS Discord here in the single entry three max thread with you know going back and forth trying to figure out should I play Sony Michelle should I not does that make me a fish you know w- you know what has Henderson done so far what has his workload been like and all very meaningful conversation. But a couple times in there and just in general, I've seen this conversation in in the industry this season and um, even sometimes here at OWS, something that uh, Todd said filling in for Hilo on the Saturday night pod last week was like knowing what our strengths and weaknesses are as a content provider. And I thought that was incredibly sharp because. I think most content providers don't want to admit that they have weaknesses. Uh, But Todd's point was that a lot of times at OWS, we can start to be almost try to think a little bit too differently from the field. And I I totally get that because I very much fit that mold of and I've talked about it a little bit this year or two and earlier this season. If you guys have been listening to this is just trying to get too cute, overthinking things a bit more than necessary. And so the reason that I'm kind of bringing all that up is that one of the things we've talked about this season is you need to average 25 plus points at, you know, positionally over your roster in order to have a shot at winning first place. And while that's true, the the thing that I wanted to really get across was like, that is a, a general rule, and that is also, it's an average. It doesn't mean that you cannot put a guy on your roster because he does not have a 25-plus point ceiling. 
And if you're doing that, you're going to limit yourself in specific search situations like this one. Now, ironically, Sonny Michelle hit his ceiling. Um, so that was, you know, kind of unexpected in and of itself. But the point being, he doesn't need a 25 plus point ceiling in order to be justifiable to put on your roster. So because I saw a handful of <clears throat> responses or comments or conversations around that in the thread, the, the single entry three max thread this week, uh, and have seen that in the industry here and here at OWS over the past handful of weeks, it, it's it's so important to understand the context of the full slate. Now, the, the one caveat to this slate is that you didn't necessarily need Sony Michelle because there was already value and good value at the running back position. You didn't need to jam high price guys in, which you still may have wanted to, and I'll get to that here. Uh, but you didn't absolutely need to. And so what I, I don't want this to be mistaken for you absolutely had to have played Michelle this week because his floor ceiling combo was just, you know, price considered just too good to pass up. There are definitely you know, paths to you not rostering him. Uh, but just wanted to mention that I'm starting to see this trend of overvaluing this guy doesn't have a 25 plus point ceiling. It doesn't, it's, it's all slate dependent. It's context dependent on this slate, especially in his place on a, on a team that's going to score one of, you know, uh, implied for one of the highest totals on the slate in a good matchup. And the, the Jags run defense is actually decent, but uh, just knowing that he's going to have potential to get into the end zone and something super sharp that JM mentioned last week, I believe it was, was JM, was they don't need to save him necessarily. So, you know, he could very easily see more touches than Henderson has because they don't they don't necessarily need to to make sure he stays fresh. So super sharp take there. And these things all came to the head of him actually realizing a ceiling. So kind of. uh yeah, so kind of nixed that conversation altogether anyways, but wanted to hit on that bucket, which is overvaluing a 25 plus point ceiling at every single position. Understand that that should be a relative average over your positions on a given roster. As long as that roster still has paths to a 200 plus point ceiling, that's all that matters. Okay. Moving on to our third bucket was playing these value guys. And is that a plus EV thing to do? So I specifically wanted to talk about Gardner Minshew, Miles Sanders, and Sony Michelle. On Sunday morning, these were three guys who I was really interested in playing. I went back and forth on this. I initially earlier this week, I wanted to play Stafford or Brady at QB because I just thought that they actually both had paths to their ceilings this week. And so I was considering them, knew I had the value at running back like we talked about ad nauseum last week at OWS, had those guys wanted to potentially roster Brady naked or uh, or even with Gronk and or one of the two receivers, Godwin, just because that was, you know, felt like kind of a layup or Mike Evans to differentiate. And then Stafford paired with Cooper Cup. I was pretty much locked in on Cup this week just because I really loved his shot at ceiling. And then potentially even adding in another pass catcher in Van Jefferson or Odo Beckham, who were both kind of underpriced given the the offense they're in and the matchup they had and things like that. So that was initially where I started my week. But then once we knew Hertz was sitting, Minshew at <laughs> like complete bottom of the barrel price at 4K 
it was one of those things where it's almost like you, I mean, you have to at least consider him. You don't expect him again, kind of back to the ceiling conversation. Do you expect anything more than, you know, 250 passing yards and two touchdowns out of him? Absolutely not on a, a team that has already been focusing on rushing the ball. No, you, you don't. And so that's important to acknowledge, but then also acknowledge that at three, three K plus cheaper than these top of the range guys, he potentially opens up a ton. And again, we kind of hit on this with Sony Michelle too. You didn't need that this week. You didn't need the value that Minshew was going to give you, but it did allow you to kind of do whatever you wanted and play those, you know, play those other spots, whatever they may be. Get up to high price guys like Cup and Jonathan Taylor. So Minshew became interesting to me because I focus on a small field, single entry tourneys. Miles Sanders became interesting to me and not because I like Miles Sanders and not because he was the best play at running back in the 5K price range, you know, under 6K. But simply because even though the Eagles have not been the greatest team this year, and we've talked about in the past handful of weeks, being wary of rostering bad players or players on bad teams, I really felt strongly that at their combined price of is 9.2K, like somebody's going to be scoring points on this offense against this bad Jets team. So for me, that became very interesting. Uh, Given the matchup, I did see that this was probably, and of course, just because of the nature of the season as well, I was like, this is probably going to be the week that Sanders actually goes for over 100 yards, which he ended up doing. So those two guys were really interesting. And the the reason that this this was such a layered thought process this week was, yes, there are, you know, there were far better, at least four, if not more, better plays than Sanders at the running back position. And you didn't need the value from him. You didn't need to, to pivot to a guy that has less certainty and that probably won't outscore these other guys. But it does differentiate you a bit because the rest of the field is not feeling a need to go away from Antonio Gibson, Jamal Williams, you know, Sony Michelle, like, that play then starts to differentiate you. And then again, as I said, at least for me in small fields, Minshew plus Sanders is just giving me kind of like guaranteed point guaranteed in quotations because, uh, you know, nothing's really guaranteed with the Eagles this year, but you know, relatively guaranteed points against this bad jets team. So those two guys, and then when I considered Michelle in this as well, I was like, well, I don't need to take all these value guys. But the more I was thinking about it, I was like, but Michelle, like he just had, he has this role as we were just talking about. He has a real role on a good team that's going to score points and it may not go through him, but it might. And is just fundamentally underpriced for his role. So again, considering the conversation we just had about overvaluing individual player 25 plus point ceilings, these guys all became very interesting to me because yes, while you do need to be very careful about how you are allocating roster spots, because even salary aside, roster spots are incredibly valuable. Having those guys together became very interesting to me because they were a uh, a whopping at 13.5k in salary and i say whopping with sarcasm like when was the last time you saw three guys who actually had a decent floor you know not a solid but like a decent floor and ceiling for 13 and a half k like it's just it's not something that we see the price especially late in the season pricing is simply too sharp 
especially on DraftKings. <clears throat> it, it's just not something that's going to happen. And so, again, the reason that this was interesting to me is that I actually believed that most of the field would overthink this to an extent. And because it wasn't necessary, not feel the need to go to these guys who, quote, don't have a high ceiling. So doing that was going to differentiate me and also gain access to a really solid price considered floor and ceiling. And so, you know, just for reference, those guys needed uh, 52 points to combine for 4x. They scored 63.88. So it is important to understand that they did hit their ceiling. You know, to me, their ceiling was like, I was giving them a range of like 40 to 65, basically, for those three guys. So they pretty much did hit their their ceiling. But I didn't need them to hit 25 plus because I wanted to then fit in guys that had 30 plus point ceilings. And if I can fit in a few of those guys that have 30 plus point ceilings. Then I'm in a position to win a tourney, at least and again, especially a small field tourney. Because in small field tourneys, while you want to differentiate, you do still want to give yourself the most certainty possible and let the other players in that field make mistakes, which kind of brings me to why I was okay going with this combo is there while each individual play was going to be chalky enough in its own right, I didn't expect many people to play these guys together. Because this this kind of understanding of, well, I'm going to have to differentiate somewhere. I don't need all this value. So for me, I, in small fields, was taking the approach of. I'm going to do what's plus EV and let the rest of the field make mistakes. So this kind of moves into this this next bucket, which is your approach given field size and contest in general that needed to be different (laughs) like the way that you approach that you know these things that i'm saying as a small field single entry player i think are sharp Uh, it makes sense to have gone to these guys that have a like on paper are just clear values are clear values and then put in pieces that do have a 30 you know 30 plus point ceilings so really giving myself access to a solid floor and as well as a ceiling now this does change a little bit in larger fields because you do then have to start thinking about how each of these guys are going to be owned because you don't need all this value on this slate. If there are enough people going to these guys, then as Hilo talks about, there will be a chalk build. People will be paying up in the same places, Jonathan Taylor and Cooper Cup. But that's where it's really important to understand the context of your roster what do you what are you building for in what field are you building your roster so for me those guys made sense now one of the things that i thought was interesting here was to add dallas goddard in which was something that i was considering i'd actually Yeah, and I did on I played more rosters this week, basically, which is why I'm part of the reason I'm not going over one single roster. Uh, This stuff is really interesting to me from like high level strategy, but uh, also because I just kind of threw in a handful of smaller dollar things and didn't really go all in on one roster. Um, But this was one of those things I really liked was and I hadn't thought about this until I saw I forgot who tweeted it. but basically that Goddard could potentially be the guy. And I really liked that because of the guys he was priced around. Nobody was going to be going to him, although people were going to be playing Minshew. Not okay. I shouldn't say nobody was going to be going to him, but still not a lot of people were going to be going to him because of uh, Moreau and Gronk and just, you know, these other guys who 
uh, were, were more certain. So Goddard was really interesting. And so if you add him into that, and so you have Minshew, whether you have Sanders or not, um, you know, I think that's viable to go either way. And then you add Goddard. And then even if you have Michelle in there, you have a pretty low owned stack from a combinatorial ownership percentage perspective. So again, thinking from a a high level about how you can differentiate, and it doesn't always have to be hard. And I'm not saying this is the only way you could have done it, uh, but I'm, I am just kind of pointing out ways that it was very viable to build around chalky pieces and still have a roster that gave you a shot at first place. And again, depending on field size. So the, uh, I guess what I want to do at this point is real quickly, just kind of uh, bring you into like what that, you know, for me looks like in terms of, I've mentioned a handful of plays. I mentioned how, you know, these guys that I'm thinking around and what that build looks like. So I want to, instead of looking at my roster or rosters that I built, I want to reverse engineer the roster that I essentially should have ended up on as my one single entry lineup. So we we talked about Minshew, Sanders, and Michelle. Now I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put Michelle in the flex as he was in the later spots. So we've got Minshew, Sanders, Michelle in the flex. I'm going to add Dallas Goddard in there because he correlates well with Minshew. It tells a story there if Minshew is going to have any type of ceiling in this spot. Not only is he a solid value for floor, but we're also looking at him potentially getting ceiling. He's going to get there through Goddard. So that's telling a story there. We're starting to differentiate ourselves a bit. And then the other the, the two guys that I wanted to get in here with all this value that was opening up to me were Cup and in hindsight, <laughs> Jonathan Taylor. So I'll talk about that in just a second. But Cooper Cup to me, I immediately this week was like, I, I want to jam him in. He's not coming off of a big game. I think that he just has an opportunity to absolutely smash first this terrible Jags pass defense in a game that the Rams need to win. They're going to want to bounce back and kind of get back to their bread and butter, which has been Stafford to Cup. So I knew I wanted Cup in there. Now I said JT uh, because the high price running back that I ended up going to on a handful of my rosters was Joe Mixon. I liked Mixon as essentially betting on the touchdowns coming from somebody unexpected on the Colts. So kind of what we were talking about with uh, Fournette and Jonathan Taylor in the past couple weeks and Kittle and Ayuk this week. So I wanted Joe Mixon. I liked Michael Pittman because of this. I threw him in on a handful of rosters because I thought that he was a guy who hasn't hit recently and could, while you know the data doesn't point to him necessarily, he could easily you know grab two touchdowns. Uh, just you know, given this offense that is going to be scoring scoring points, so I was essentially betting on that happening and getting Joe Mixon at. I didn't again. I didn't end up looking at what ownership was on him, but at what I figured would be you know, decently lower ownership than Jonathan Taylor. But I should have been on Jonathan Taylor because in my initial notes this week, as I did my uh, first look, I was all over that. And it was just kind of a, you know, very similar to Cup. Him and Cup were just plays this week that were about as certain as you can get. Like their, their paths to failing were just so low. And of course... You know, JM talks about this a lot and it's very true at these prices. These guys do have to really smash to pay that off. But 
to me and the way that, you know, my play style, like I am always going to be leaning a bit towards certainty in small field play. And so there's like, I just, I don't even know of a time where there, there were two plays that were more certain than these two guys in their respective spots, you know, cup against a terrible pass defense going to score points. JT up against a terrible run defense going to score points. So I should have had both of those guys on my roster. Which leaves me with two wide receiver spots and a defense. At that point, before we jump into those, at that point, I had, uh, let's see, 13.8K left in salary just to to give you an idea there i actually was going to defense next i wanted to play either the bucks or the rams in this spot if i was going to play gardner Minshew at quarterback this still then creates some leverage because the story that i'm telling is that if stafford or brady who i both i liked both of this week are not having this ceiling that you had to have and Minshew was a you know could potentially be on tournament winning roster that could come through the bucks or the rams defenses scoring points i liked the bucks a lot because everybody was going to their offense and figured that matt ryan and the falcons would be trailing and having to throw the ball very easily saw a path to a solid day for the bucks rams very similar situation people are going to that offense could definitely see how Trevor Lawrence and the Jags could, uh, you know, give the the Rams defense some points. So I wanted either of those defenses, which left me with uh, just over 10K in salary, depending on which one I went to. And then two remaining receiver spots. The two plays that I liked for single entry were... Odo Beckham Jr. I liked him on this lineup. I could have easily played Van Jefferson there too, but I liked Beckham to just have a probably a little bit more floor, um, just a little bit more of a solid role, potentially more of a red zone role. Uh, so if Cup wasn't getting touchdowns in the red zone, I was kind of expecting OBJ to, which happened. Uh, so I liked him in this spot. And then and again, bring, creates a, a block of players between him, Cup, Michelle. And then the final piece that I was going to was Devante Parker. For me, again, I know there was an ownership concern there, which unfortunately I didn't even realize until I uh, looked at some stuff on Sunday morning. I thought I was being sneaky by... <laughs> Um, seeing him coming back at that price again just fundamentally too low of a price no i didn't love the game environment i didn't think that they were going to have to pass a ton but he's always kind of quietly been a target hog in that offense and he is a guy who has the the capacity for you know chunk gains long touchdowns things like that so i liked him at cost so one more time here we've got Minshew, sanders jonathan taylor cooper cup Odo beckham jr Devonte parker dallas goddard sony michelle and rams defense or bucks defense this Roster finished with a score of 185.58 with Rams defense or 186.58 with Bucks defense. So, was this good enough to win large field tourneys? No. And I'm okay with that. This, you know, wasn't building for a large, a large field with this. However, this was good for. If this were a thing, I didn't build this roster. (laughs) Um, Side note, I didn't give myself enough time to react to the news on Sunday morning. I chose to uh, do family things and go on a walk with my my wife and two dogs. 
which was the the right choice in hindsight. But I was frustrated when Locke hit and I was not happy with everything that I had settled on. Um, but that would have been good for a around a 5% finish in tourneys. So I wanted to do that today and share that to show how I could have very, very easily arrived at what would have for me, given how I play, been my small field single entry roster and it is, you know, is not built out of I built similar rosters this week with the the handful of lineups that I built. I didn't build this exact one, but I built a handful of them. This is not something that I'm building uh, based on outcome. It's simply like I very, very clearly how see how this would have, should have, could have been my process. And so, again, wanted to kind of show how this uh, embodies some of these or illustrates some of these things that we talked about today, which were I didn't need to have this massive 25 plus point ceiling from Minshew, Sanders, Goddard, or Michelle. That's four guys on a roster that I would not put in the category of having 25 plus point ceilings, but because they did end up hitting what their relative ceilings are and there were other guys on my roster in this theoretical case, um, and I had guys on my other rosters too that, that did this, but that hit their ceilings like Cooper Cup, you can still get to a a solid score and i talked about this last week with my hundo winning lineup in a field of 100 people you know i didn't have to have the best score on a slate i had like a 143 and last week was a lower scoring week but even that was not up there in the you know kind of like the highest of scores or what you would have needed to win the milli i don't remember what the, the the score was there but so just wanted to point this out for those of you who are building bankroll, who are focusing on smaller tourneys, single entry tourneys, three max tourneys. You don't have to be getting too contrarian, being too different, or necessarily even be trying to hit too much ceiling. There are ways, and also it's important to point out that there are plenty of ways this could have failed this week. There's ways that, you know, Minshew, Sanders, and Goddard combined for something that we didn't want to have. But as JM and the rest of OWS has hammered this year is you're not predicting those guys to have this game necessarily. You're saying when you put these guys on a roster, these guys are going to get me a better score. They're going to hit their ceilings more often than the field will be accounting for. So that was reverse engineering the roster I should have had. I think that pretty much does it for what I was going to touch on today. I'm going to open this up for questions now. Go ahead and raise your hand if you want to come up here and you hit on anything that I already talked about. Uh, ask me questions about your own rosters, something you did well or not well. I know we strayed a bit from the standard approach today, which is going through my single entry roster and kind of sharing with you what I did well, what I didn't do well. Um, because I really liked kind of these other um, bigger picture things that uh, felt meaningful on a week like this. So, yeah, anything you've got for me, go ahead, just raise your hand. All right. Coming on up. Hello. Hello. Hey, what's going on, man? Back again. Welcome back. back. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to chime in for a second and... Uh... And uh, say that uh, that lineup that you <laughs> that you should have had um, was almost a mirror image of the lineup that I had in uh, the. Hey, middle- there we go. <laughs> uh, I had one. I just I had a single bullet, um, and I played Minshew with uh, Goddard 
I thought, and Je- Justin Jefferson, I thought I was on, you know, on my way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had Sony Michelle, and uh, but I played Mixon and Miles um, Gaskin because Philip Lindsay wasn't was inactive, and um, and uh, Chase Claypool and Marquise Brown, a little mini mini stack correlation, but uh, just didn't pan out. I, I played Washington defense thinking that it would be good leverage off of uh, the the Raiders chalk, and I yep. they've been doing well in the last um, last few games. They even without Chase Young, but I I thought it might might catch fire, but um, that was it. that was really funny. I was I wasn't gonna chime in. <laughs> I heard you say that exact. I was like, if he says Mixon, uh, I'm, I'm gonna call it. And uh, but that was uh, uh, you chose the uh, uh, to be on the team. Smell the team. Uh, smell the roses, right? With the wife, go go and walk with the wife, and yep, yep. <laughs> do that. And that's always that's always a good idea. Always always plus EV, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, and <laughs> and in terms of that, uh, I also uh, having a family um, come into that, and I think it's an important thing that uh, uh, like the, the Sony Michelle news, all of that over in Discord. I I wasn't really aware of it, um, and so maybe that was a good thing that I wasn't aware of the ownership and and how everybody was pointing in that direction um, because that might have gotten me off of it. Uh, I know it did for some people. It got up, got them off of Sony Michelle, which was, um, like you said, didn't have to have it, but uh, it was one of those plays that just sets you apart uh, from the field. But uh, that's interesting uh, in, in terms of uh, that information. I, I, I am so busy on the weekends with the family, family that, you know, when I do have my one or two hours maybe to sit down and, and go over things. Um, it's, uh, it's difficult (laughs) to say the least (laughs) when, when, when you can have people that don't have any of that and they can just sit at their computer and, and, uh, you know, and be streamlined into, the discord and all that stuff. But, um, I just, I just wanted to say, uh, uh congrats <laughs> in a way. <laughs> yeah. But. Thanks, man. It's, uh, yeah. Like you said, it's, it, it's hard and yeah, it's one of those things too, that, you know, it's, it's kind of a timing thing. Normally I really only have one main lineup and maybe like a couple of variations that I'm playing and I just happen to play a, a, a handful this week and so i i wasn't you know a i'm not used to doing that so it's not a normal part of my process and so then having to try to react to news and change a bunch of rosters is is just not part of my process and so you know that's part of it too is like as i am playing with new things for my process and my approach just kind of got caught between a rock and a hard place this week and uh you know didn't really have the 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 things in place or the the process in place on a sunday morning to deal with that as i was kind of giving myself you know i gave myself a an hour or whatever like after we got home but because this was different for me and there and there was more news than usual uh just yeah wasn't enough but sometimes that's how the cookie crumbles and you know i was i was frustrated after you know i had had these thoughts of like this was what i liked and i just didn't get it on enough rosters and you know dallas goddard goes and scores immediately and <laughs> uh frustrated but yeah you know at the end of the day like i said always plus cv to choose real life and the the fam over over dfs yeah it, uh, i play a lot of nba as well um you know when i when i can be at attention and uh yeah. i find that overreacting to um uh late news or or what in football is is um a lot more detrimental than it is in nba nba you have to be right there and making those changes because if you don't then 
you, you can pretty much set your money on fire. Um, yes. Where it usually works out in terms of the projections because there, there's some, uh, such less variance in, in basketball. But in football, it seems like I, it, it's hard for me to not um, get the, you know, the, the, the galaxy brain plays of like, yeah. oh, I'll play Miles Gaskin when, uh, you know, there's so many other good plays out there, um, you know, that are going to be, the ownership is going to be spread out on the week. Um, like, you know, uh, Antonio Gibson, you know, you name it. But um, I just, you know, I just, a quick trigger, like, you know, clicked on the button. I was like, yeah, I'll put him in, you know, nobody will have him, blah, blah. And uh, it really didn't work out. But um, that was interesting. I, I just, I wanted to uh, um, see what you, also what you thought about that lineup. Um, is that like, would that lineup be like two galaxy brain in your opinion uh, for, you know, uh, I know, I know it didn't work out using Mixon and, um, and Gaskin, but uh, I didn't know what your, what your thoughts were on that lineup, my lineup. Yeah. What was the, like, what kind of field size are you playing? Oh, I was, it was just a single bullet in the Millie maker. I just, I like to play the lottery every once in a while, okay. you know, and yeah. uh, I, uh, I did similar things in um, the, the small field tourneys that I play in um, with the guys at work. But, uh, you know, their scores were in the 180s and 190s. Um, but I, I, you know, I had um, I had the idea of because I played Brady and Godwin and Gronk last week. With a Pittman run back, and it would just I absolutely flopped. I said, "Watch this! I'm going to play the same lineup I played last week, yeah. and it's going to do. It's going to crush." And I I didn't do it, and I wish I had because I, the, putting it all together with the pieces that I liked from the other games, uh, I would have scored two two thirty. <laughs> I was like, "Oh no!" Yeah, <laughs> it was really disappointing, but. I also had the uh, Tampa Bay defense uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, thought idea as le- leverage off of, uh, you know, Brady not really putting up the game that uh, he could have, that he did. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was a Millie Maker lineup um, that I threw together. I just, the uh, Baltimore-Pittsburgh game, uh, that was that was a little galaxy brain, but um, yeah, I think you know with uh, with it being the Millie, like Joe Mixon, definitely viable. Um, that's I mean I I don't know if if you were here or not, but that's who I played in some of my lineups over JT. I, right? Yeah, when I you said that, it. I said I can't believe it. It's like a mirror image. Yeah, um, yeah, but then. I mean, I actually, I think the, I, I like the the Baltimore Pittsburgh play because that game does have a barbell distribution of outcomes in terms of, yeah, it is going to end up, you know, low scoring a, a lot of the time, but there's also going to be times where it does turn into a back and forth affair because these defenses haven't been quite as dominant as they have in the past. And they do have pieces on these offenses that are either a clear plays because the offense is narrowly distributed like the Steelers or have high upside guys like Lamar Jackson or Marquise Brown. So I definitely don't hate that for the, the, the size of field. Now, if you're playing in that in a field of a hundred, you know, you probably don't need to go there. Um, but in larger right. fields, definitely viable. Well, that was good. It was good talking to you. They can carry on, and uh, hopefully, somebody, uh, hopefully, we can correlate uh, our lineups together this this coming week. And there we go. Yep. (laughs) Bring one down. Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for coming and hanging out again, man. It's been fun. Maximus, what's up? How's it going? Good. Good. How are you? I'm good. I just kind of uh, 
came in to the middle of the uh, last discussion. Uh, I don't exactly know what the if there was a focal point of uh, what you began with, with this or not. But uh, I was definitely wanting to share my experience from last week and uh, yeah, kind sure. of reiterate a couple of reiterate a couple of points that Jam was kind of driving home last night on the Tuesday night uh, pod that he did. I don't know how many people were able to talk, uh, if you were, you were able to catch that. And uh, it's something that Osimo as well has been kind of hammering, and that is to really think about the other ways the game could play out as opposed to the most owned players in that game environment. Yeah. But, but first, what I wanted to say real quick is, you know, it, I know it's talked about a lot with one week season, how, you know, identify what the field is doing and then kind of, you know, get an edge on that or an advantage on that. I'm here to say in defense of the field, the field's getting sharper, man. It's getting sharper. And if you, if you, if you give me a minute, I'll explain why. Um, I was in a, uh, um, a three max. I'm usually single entry three max. And like the last guy who was on, you know, throw some bullets in the milli on occasion. Or may not even be the milli. It could be uh, just a large field. And I had three teams. This was a $75 buy-in, uh, three entry max, so 75 per team. And it was a field of maybe, you know, somewhere between two and 400 people. I think there was one for like 681. One was an early only. One was like, uh, you know, all, all definitely under a thousand or under 500 entry uh, contests. And I mean, my process, I mean, I actually scored over 156 points on every one of them and didn't cash in one of them. So I mean, that's kind of a credit to the field that it seems to be you have to refine, you know, some things, even in small field, maybe a little bit more than you used to, than you used to even have to. Can you still hear me? I didn't know if I'm even on or not. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Okay. Like I had an early only contest, for instance, where, you know, I did the two pay up running back, which Hillo I talked about on his end around, which I, I definitely appreciated that insight. That was a really cool way to differentiate yourself. So I had, uh, now this was the early only contest. So I had Jonathan Taylor and Austin Eckler. And then I had James Conner that I put as my third running back for flex is it seemed to be the kind of week where, especially in small field, if it's under 500 entrance, that you would, the way the pricing was and the way the, the slate was, it seemed more feasible to do a three running backs. And it worked yeah. in a way. I mean, James Conner had a great game. Obviously, JT does what he does. Eckler disappointed until the very end. But my correlation from Eckler was Jamar Chase. As yeah. we, if anybody caught any of that game, he had a golden opportunity for a 50-plus yard touchdown that he just – I've never even seen anything like it. He just kind of bobbled the ball and then eventually batted it to the opponent. And then it kind of affected the rest of his game from there, it seemed like. Like, it just kind of zapped his confidence or something. So the easy answer there would have been just, oh, Higgins instead of Jamar Chase, and then I have, like, a pretty blockbuster team. But it's really getting to the point now where it's like in the – the last few weeks is what I'm saying. Now, maybe it's too small of a sample size. Uh, but, you know, throughout the course of the year, I've noticed, I've been taking note that, you know, even, you know, kind of doing things right, you, you know, obviously there's always variance and there's always luck involved. But, you know, the field, which is getting sharper than it used to be in some of these contests because I pretty much hit above average or better on almost every player on my team except like two players. Uh, then I had the Minshew Goddard. So I had Minshew at quarterback, Goddard tight end. And that seemed reasonable, especially with the $4,000 price. It was kind of hard to to not at least build one of my three teams with the Minshew uh, roster. And then, like I said, I had JT, I had uh, Austin Eckler, and I had, um, um, what you call it? Uh, oh, James Conner. And then, but again, I had uh, Jamar Chase kind of as the skinny stack with Eckler. Yep. And then um, I think with the rest of the team was, I think it was either Dolphins defense and then um, trying to remember who the other receivers were, two other receivers on that team. But in any case, I ended up with over 156 points, but that wasn't even good enough to make the money line, which is surprising to me because not, not that I'm playing as a cash game. I mean, because there's always that pitfall in small field. You don't want to put a quote unquote cash line up 
into a tournament per se. And I wasn't building that way either. I'm just speaking from results based. Even in small field, it's common to cash. Like typically, if you get over a certain point, point wise, not that you're looking to cash. I mean, you know, mentality should always be, of course, first or nothing. But even still, I've noticed this year, maybe I've played DFS football about seven years, that it really is, it's got to be partly that the field is getting a little bit sharper. And just to kind of take note of that, where, you know, even though we are competing against the field and we do have the resources we have, and it's awesome to be a part of this community, of course, and with really sharp players, uh, you know, the field is, I, it seems to me this year, and I wanted to get your opinion, actually, of that opinion that the field's getting sharper overall especially in the in the single entry three max and it's it's taking a little bit more than it even used to to even uh get in your uh you know standard range of even if you didn't quite hit the nuts for a first place finish that even cashing in this case yeah yeah no definitely it's uh you know we're we've we've kind of reached that point where information and data is good (laughs) like across the board and so that's no longer a thing that you know people don't have access to uh and just like you know general dfs theory and things like that are you know readily readily available as well and so it's not a you know think a handful of years ago because i've been playing the, the same amount of time as you uh you know you you could have been ahead of the field by a they're playing better plays by having by digging into the data more or b simply just by understanding the game of dfs better and having better strategy but we've kind of reached a point where neither of those things is enough anymore because there there's you know we're the we're saturated in terms of data and so yeah i mean it brings us to a point like especially on a week where the chalk hits or a week where a lot of players have a good week yeah it's definitely definitely harder to uh like have good results or to pass the field on a week like that but that also then kind of points us to like we have to be doing the uh, I think it's Hilo talks about the 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 layers of DFS strategy. And so we kind of need to be at layers, you know, third, fourth layers of strategy. And yeah, I mean, that's, you know, kind of the strength of OWS. And that's where things like Inner Circle and stuff like that are, uh, you know, those podcasts are, or the, you know, in the lives that JM does on Tuesdays. And then uh, Hilo and Zandemir do on Saturday are just like, just so valuable because right i mean essentially you can end up on a week like this where it's like everybody's player pool looks probably pretty similar like across the board anybody that's actually putting a decent amount of time and effort into this uh so yeah it really does take uh, a little bit more work but also intentional work kind of like knowing where to focus and that's you know been part of the reason at ows this year why the focus has been it's not about players it's about building good rosters uh but you know all, all that to say you're you're definitely right the the field is sharper and it's you know it's going to be very very clear on weeks like this after or when the the chalk hits it's going to be much more difficult and then i just want to comment on your your roster and your process there i i love that i think that was really sharp i love the the combo of Eckler and Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase was actually one of my favorite attorney plays this week as a differentiating play because it's been a while. People are, you know, kind of getting on the T Higgins train. Uh, so yeah, I thought he was a really sharp play this week and just in general loved skinny stacks from that game. You didn't necessarily need to play the quarterback, but there were plenty of paths to, uh, you know, ceilings or or guys that were having good performances from that game. So really like that. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. I was just, everybody, we got to step up our game even more. The tools we have, you know? Yep, exactly. And that's, you know, the, <laughs> the, the power of this community and like this podcast and stuff that, you know, when at this conversation we're having, like, that's why this stuff is so, so necessary 
uh, is just because, yeah, I mean, we have to just continue to dig deeper because the surface layer, uh, while yes, you could potentially get there, you know, it's just not really going to cut it anymore for, for kind of the long term. Now, do you conduct this every Wednesday on your behalf or is this just like, is this particular channel in the inner circle is, can anybody create a platform here or, or this is like a specific time slot that's been allotted for you to kind of do review and process yeah so this is this is kind of my time slot every week uh this actually gets recorded too so this okay, goes awesome. out on on public podcast networks as well great well good man good thing you're doing here i definitely will look to be more a part of it um when i can you know remember and free up the time of course at these hours but yeah man no no i'm definitely listening definitely just wanted to chime in this particular week to share those couple things and i'll uh i'll throw the mic back to you all right thanks man appreciate you hanging out yeah man definitely all right see you. <laughs> all right later all right yeah and just with that too uh you know love having you guys up here and chatting it's definitely more fun for me to to be having conversation um, but with that, if, you know, on a week to week basis, <clears throat> if you either can't make it, cause I know it is kind of a weird time, 3 PM Eastern, uh, you know, feel free to hit me up with questions via discord. Even if you are listening to this publicly and not part of OWS, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at bfritz12. Uh, more than happy to just kind of, uh, share some of these things with you. Uh, with that though. I'm going to get us out of here. Went long today, which totally cool with. It was a ton of fun. Uh, the the one thing I did just want to mention at the end, because I just remembered it or as we were kind of talking there, is to enter the Thursday through Monday contests, guys. <laughs> if you are building bankroll, I, I know this has been talked about uh, at, in many different places, but join those contests both the the cash games the tournaments uh it's really ridiculous the lineups that people put into those thursday to monday slates it really is bad it is very plus ev to enter those on DraftKings. so i am going to be doing that again this week i entered a bunch of like head-to-heads as well as a uh a fair catch you know twelve dollar fair catch 980 people I came in, I think, 78th this past weekend. Uh, just there, there's just the, the field is smaller because there are so many just terrible lineups, people playing the most ridiculous stuff on Thursday nights. So just kind of a, a quick note there to play the Thursday to Monday slate. I don't love having the, the, the Sunday and Monday games necessarily on that slate because I don't focus on them for a ton of research. but definitely it's it's still worth it uh because they're they're just there's so much dead lineups in on those contests so all right i'm gonna get out of here thanks guys for hanging out today been fun uh hit me up if anything struck a chord or is interesting or you want me to explain it more otherwise i will hope to see you guys at the top of the leaderboards this weekend talk to you later